Navigating the road to success in the entertainment industry can be daunting, but we're here to help keep you centered. Undetoured, navigating the artist's journey. My next guest is one of the hardest working women in show business. You may remember Deborah Wilson from her eight years on the sketch comedy show Mad TV on Fox. Or perhaps you've played her in many video games. She's actually been in over 60. Titles like The Walking Dead, The Final Season, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Halo, Destiny 2, and the list goes on. And even though she's one of the kindest souls I've ever met, her nefarious Amanda Waller in Batman The Enemy Within is badass and a force to be reckoned with. Let's drop in on our soul-transforming conversation we had late last year. Welcome back to Undetoured, Navigating the Artist's Journey. And I am just so honored to be here with someone whose energy just transcends most artists' energy. Her energy actually reaches out and captures your soul. I heard her speak before on a webinar with my dear teacher, Eliza Jane Schneider, and I'm just so honored to be here with the Illuminous Goddess, who is Deborah Wilson. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Goddess. I appreciate you. Thank you, my sister, Goddess. Lovely to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. So, Deborah, I want to go all the way back to the sandbox when you were five and you realized this is what you needed to do. You needed to use your voice and your energy to tell stories. Did you have a support system that was there in place to support that journey? First of all, it was never a need. It was never, I needed to do this. This was, uh, for me, at the age of five, I knew I was an actress. So this was almost like, uh, the real thing about a sandbox for children is they don't pretend they are. They become that thing. Exactly. And so little kids don't go, you pretend to be Batman and I'll pretend, no, I'm I'm Superman, you're Batman, and here's what we're gonna do. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm the Joker, okay, I'm, the, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. If you'll notice their natural and organic language to that beauty and that vulnerability and the all-encompassing uh, self-love uh, and, and self-creativity is that they are those things. They are that which they create. And we lose that as adults because we have to negotiate with the three-dimensional world to become that thing as adults. So in that moment, I already was, so I didn't have a need. Um, and like any kid in that precocious creative space, there were allowances for that behavior. There were allowances for that truth. There were allowances to, to springboard. What other creative things do you do? Like, you know, let's get you some Play-Doh and let's get you some crayons and let's learn to make Play-Doh here. I mean, my parents are, were very loving, God rest their souls, were very loving and creative people and musically talented and musically gifted and they were very social. So everything that you see is in that, is in that DNA that you're hearing right now is a culmination definitely of my roots and definitely of uh, uh, my environment and what I choose to bring in to support that creative space that already exists. As I've grown to learn that it already exists within me and that I don't need anything on the outside of me, everything else is icing. And if I don't like the icing, I don't have to eat it. So I had that loving support that says, uh, go play and go be and go do. It, it got a little um, beyond precociousness uh, for a while. Um, and by the time I was six, seven, eight, nine, it was at, at times a little unnerving to my parents how deep I would immerse myself into something. Um, and it was a little disturbing for them at times. 
I feel like your energy though and everything about you is just so beautifully on and present and and here for whoever you're there with. And yes. that happened as a child obviously because you had this amazing support system to to support that. But I was wondering Like I said, I have to, I have to I have to jump in there for a second. Yeah. Like I said, it got a little disturbing at times. So it wasn't always that support because I I, I can't imagine and be in my parents' shoes to 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 have somebody who got so immersed in some of these worlds that um, there was a challenge between, all right, this is playtime and what is going on. And I got to that point at times because of uh, things I wanted to escape, being so different and immersed in that creative space and not fully knowing and having the maturity of what that creative space meant. In other words, there were things that were in involving psychologically and emotionally in my process that I wasn't even aware of as a child. And so it, it, it can come across as, okay, when does this end? And, and what is the schism here? And um, when is playtime over? And is, is there something else beyond this playtime and why? And so it, it, it could be, it could have been misread by adults who go, that's playtime and this is what is, you know, because you discern and disseminate based on that time period. And in that time period, it's you're playing here, you're playing here. And, and we get that type of play. We get that social order in that type of play. But when that social order changes into something else on your own, what is that? And I think my parents at, at times had a challenging time dealing with it um, and then surrendering it and then something else. And I'm dealing with it and surrendering, especially knowing that they're not just raising me, they're raising five children. I was the second to last that was born. And so by the time I came along um, and my brother came along six years later, it was, okay, you know, negotiating the dynamic of all of their children at all their different ages. So um, I had a loving support on every level from my parents. Um, but there were times when, again, I didn't realize now that I look back that that was the all-encompassing self that would finally come to terms with herself. It was there then, and I couldn't navigate it, and sometimes my parents couldn't, and now I'm, I'm navigating it, and I'm releasing it into the world. Did you feel that things were coming to you so quickly, and you were downloading so much so quickly, and you just wanted to get it out there? Sometimes I wanted to get it out there, and sometimes I wanted to keep it to myself because there were things that were going on in my head, and there were complexities. It was never so much the comedy and the fun and joy. Sometimes it was, most times it was very dramatic. So by five, I knew I was going to be a, I'm, I was a dramatic actress. That's, that's what it was because I would create these complexities and I would create these storylines and I would create these, these visible things in my third eye that were more complex. And I don't know if those were spiritual downloads, if those were psychological downloads, if those were, um, psychic downloads, but those downloads were very, very clear and they were more adult themed than they were child themed. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I love that you actually acknowledge the whole third eye. I'm a huge believer and that's what this podcast is about, is trying to navigate that artist's journey through energy, through being able to set our mindset to a positive frequency so that we can navigate those dips in our career and when you said um psychic energies did you were you able to tap into that as a child and i don't know i don't because i was a child 
So it's not one of those things like, oh yeah, I did. I don't know if I tapped into it or not. I don't know. There's always that possibility because as an adult looking back, I don't know what the child was, you know, I don't know what, what I was in terms of that energy because it wasn't, it wasn't a part of my reference. It wasn't my frame of reference as a child. Um, The only frame of reference on that level was the emotional stuff. Like most children, like I had emotional connection to those that have passed on and I, I had emotional desire to see them and to talk to them and breathe them and believe that they were still there and not going away and I didn't want them to go away and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to experience them again in, in some way, not to say goodbye, but, but continue holding on to them to say hello. Like my, my imaginary playmates were um, two older people. They were Jewish, Hitty and Biller, Hitty and Biller. Were they your spirit guides in a sense? Like, I have no idea. I was a child. Again, I have no idea. They haven't stuck with you like after a certain point. No, it, because uh, at one point they told me they were leaving. They said, you're too old and we have to leave. We're going to Florida. They're moving to Florida. Yeah. I didn't want them to go, but they said, they, they, sorry, honey, you're just, you're too old. You're getting old now. You don't need us anymore. It was fun, but you don't need us. And they never played with me. They would talk with me. I would do something and then they would watch and, and talk to me. They would observe and, and comment. Um, and sometimes the comments weren't necessarily about what I was doing. It was about something else, about school, about life, or how I felt about something or, you know, or, or giving me advice that I was gonna be okay, that kind of a thing. So they never uh, played with me. They never got down and we never had tea parties and things like that. It was always, I was doing something and they were there in the room. They would come in and they would just sit down. There were two older Jewish people. That's amazing. And you seem like you have this, like you've been here before, like you have this old soul. Do you feel that you've been on this earth before that you've? Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? I've, yeah. But most of my lives were, 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 were ancient, very, very ancient. That's not, where I'm getting the goddess yeah, not, vibes not, from, <laughs> like way ancient. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about some of that, that um, how how you've been able to tell that you have you had synchronicities that have happened? Have you met people along your journey that, um, you know, you have worked with even that you felt like you've known forever, maybe in a different lifetime? I think we always I think we always have those connections and, 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 and we don't necessarily call it a psychic connection. But we just recognize that emotional connection and, and the people who come into your lives and, and you know, based on the relationship and based on uh, the experiences you have with them, that, they've, that, that they are meant to have this lifetime with you. You know, there are only, there's only one person that I can think of uh, very specifically that I knew that I had a lifetime with. And the moment I connected with him, I knew that I loved him. I knew that um, I was meant to take care of him in this lifetime. And that was Artie Lang from Mad TV. We met in New York. He was from New York and I was from the New York area. And we had our first audition together in New York. And then we had our next audition in L.A. And um, uh, the first time I met him and it was it was instant. And then we went our ways and then um, L.A. happened and then we went our ways and then the show happened. And that was it. And I was like, I'm I I loved I loved him um, nurturing. And it was such a, a, a huge, overwhelming love it was overwhelming um not disturbing but overwhelming like i overwhelmingly love you i'm i'm here for you um it's unconditional love it's a completely unconditional love and i realized uh, i said i I gotta see somebody about this and when i was uh in that phase of seeing psychics um i asked about it and they said that that he was my mother in a previous life 
and I'm coming back to take care of him, which is how the sketch, My White Mama, was created. It was created by the writers because I told them, I said, Artie was my mother in a previous life and I'm back to take care of him. I didn't, I didn't completely, um, I, I didn't, or, or my soul's journey was I didn't complete that task or I felt as if I didn't complete that task and now we're back in this lifetime and that love was overwhelming because it was, it was instantaneously overwhelming love for him. And um, that's what I was told. And he started going, girl, what you mean? I was your mom in another life. And, and that's, how the, that's how it was. So they came up with the whole concept of my white mama as in, you know, this trucker was eating a sandwich, not withdrawing where he was going. And he, he hit my mom while she was walking across the street with her groceries. She died, but he came out to see the body and her soul just went straight into his. And that's how my white mama came about uh, on Mad TV. Don't make me break my foot off in your ass. Yes. Oh, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant because like, you know, we as storytellers, we're kind of these empaths, right? I feel like we're all on the next level empaths and sometimes it affects us in such a deep way when we either meet people on our journey or or we're able to do a piece of work that really transcends like what we're experiencing at that time. And I know that some of the times at uh, your journey with Mad TV didn't end probably the way you would have liked to it. Oh, it, but it ended the way it was supposed to. But it's not whether I like it or not. It's, it's again, because I can't focus on that. What I end up focusing on is how that moves you to the next place. Because the one thing I always tell people, because I teach acting as well and voiceover and performance capture, I, I coach rather. I don't teach, I coach. And the one thing I, I, I always say is that, um, well, not just to them, but to anyone on any journey that they're taking is that no matter what you feel may translate as minutia or shit, that you continue to experience the shit until you begin to realize that you are the minerals that turn it into fertilizer. Mm, I absolutely love that. It's so true. And then you choose what you want to grow. Exactly. And you, and then you're, you bloom where you're planted. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. I feel like that's so important for all the listeners to know that you're going to go through ups and downs and dips and valleys and you have to treat this like it's a marathon, not a sprint, because you can't think that anyone's show or any one gig is going to catapult you. I mean, very rarely does it catapult you. But, but even if we let it. that, if, even if we leave the entertainment business behind, the bottom line is you're, you're here to grow the make and measure of who you are. Now, when it comes to the acting coaching that I do and everything else that I do, the first thing I say before even we get to that emotional and personal space is you want to be a better actor, be a better human being. Mm -hmm. Because if you didn't have all of that, that you had to negotiate with a three-dimensional world, who would you be? What would you use to discern and disseminate the make and measure of the kind of human being you want to be? And at the same time, ask yourself, if I were to die and have a memorial service, who the fuck would show up and what the fuck would they say about me? Who would show up? How many would show up? And what would they say about me? The make and measure of who you are as a human being is more important because what that is, is that's the springboard into everything else. So it doesn't matter what you have to negotiate in the three-dimensional world with a business because you can't say you're an actress and not act. And so a lot of people have a closed mind. A lot of people have a small vision in terms of what they want. Even if you say you want to be rich and famous and make a trillion dollars, that is a small vision. 
compared to who you are and what you have to bring and your truest purpose in this lifetime. And when you know that, yeah, you may be rich, but you sure as shit won't be wealthy. So if you leave all of that behind and say the making measure of who I am, the creative space that I want to hold is about putting something for the greater good so that my stories are worthy to be told. And so I am worthy to be able to tell somebody else's what a gift, what an honor, what a privilege, what a joy, what a miracle, what a blessing, how credible, I never say incredible, how credible that could be and how credible that is. And you don't necessarily sometimes have to be an actor to do that because your foundation is saying, I just wanna put my creative energy out there. So if you ask me about a career, I'm gonna tell you, I don't have one. I have creative opportunities and all these beautiful moments to look back and go, yeah. And all these opportunities to grow myself and better know myself and say, yeah. Now, if you wanna equate that into a career, have at it. But I know I don't have a career. I have creative moment after creative moment after creative moment so that I can continue to grow myself, better know myself and live my truest purpose and let the entertainment industry and a career be the collateral. I feel like I'm in church right now. This is so beautiful. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I, and I'm Jewish, so like, I would, I mean, it would be Amen. A woman. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's so beautiful because I always say, what's your highest soul's purpose? What's your highest soul's path? And it looks like you already know that. And it's so wonderful that you know that. And so well, I, I had to grow to know that. I had to grow to know that. I had to be in the darkness. I had to live in the darkness. So tell me a little bit about the darkness. the darkness. And not only stumble, but I had to hurt myself enough to be scarred so that when I came into the light, I can look at those scars and know that that, uh, that thing, which is that, I earned it. That's, this is college. This is grad school. Absolutely. All of those things in the darkness. And it wasn't for the entertainment industry. It was to grow myself so that I can go, fuck the industry if I don't want it. I, I, I tossed it aside. I tossed it aside anyway. It came back. So that's what true surrender is all about, at least on my end. I gave it up. I let it all go. I let it all go. Because the only purpose for me was that growth, was to move beyond the idea and the concept of the three dimensions turned into five, which is to eat, sleep, shit, fuck, and consume. And when I let that go and didn't make the entertainment industry that important, that meant part of that transition as well as part of that equation was letting go the desperation, letting go the idea that I was unworthy, letting go the goal, which was limited, that I was going to be in a hamster wheel because once you have that, you want the next thing. And so now I'm beholden to the three-dimensional world again from social media to agents to pictures, to resumes, to auditions, to managers, to networking, you're beholden. And if you're beholden to be that thing which you wanna be, you know you're not that thing because they have to tell you you're that thing. And that's why I let it all go to know me and better grow me so that I knew that I wasn't beholden to it because I don't want to cling to it. You hold to a glass of water, you hold to a paper cup of water, you want it so desperately that you end up squeezing the water out. So the thing you wanted to do, the purpose that was greater for you in that moment goes away because you weren't interested in holding it. You were interested in the desperation of not letting it go. And there's a difference between the two. 
And so when I let go and knew the difference between the two, I can surrender it because the joy that I have is the joy that I am. And that's when everything started to come back. That's when I went to my agent and said, I'm gonna have a conversation with you. I'm not gonna work a lot, but you have other people that will. And the work that comes in, people are gonna ask for me. They're gonna be offers and they're all gonna be small. They're all gonna be independent. They're all gonna be projects that are passionate. They're not gonna bring a lot of money, but people will come to me over and over again because they say you want you. And for me, it was about being able to proceed my energy before I walk in the room. My energy precedes me before I walk in the room. And because of that, as that stuff started to come back in, I started growing my humility, my gratitude, my joy knowing that this wasn't gonna last, so let me bring myself to the table. And in that humility, I wanna be your storyteller. I'm a storyteller for your work, your truth, your light. I wanna bring that to light because whatever I'm supposed to bring to me is already there. My light is there. Now my light has to shine bright to shine it on everybody else's. So people go, EA Games and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, wow. And Rocksteady and, and wow, on this game and this game and this game and Bungie and all the, that's my responsibility. I already know I shine. And so if you're asking me to tell your story, I don't want you at that point just to hear me because I'm not a voiceover artist. I want you to feel me as the passionate human being that is here to make sure your story is told with fullness and allness and grace and power and passion and excitement and truth and authenticity. Because every time that happens, I get a chance to live why my existence is so powerful and palpable to me. And it just so happens that the collateral is I do it in the entertainment industry. The collateral is that I do it in voice work. But if those things didn't exist, I still do. And I don't have to negotiate with that world to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important for people to hear this because I feel like so many people, especially if we're not in the industry in LA or one of the bigger markets, because we're uh, I'm located in Atlanta, which is quite a big market now, but not for video games or animation yet, but to know that you're worthy no matter what, that you are who you are in full joy and full resplendence will make you who you will be later on as a storyteller. And I always say I'm a journeyman storyteller because I do- Not later on, now. Now, yeah, or now, yes. It's, exactly. later on. it's all in the now. Time is a construct, not later on, now. That's true, because you might not have now. later on. Because every time that you know this, you've got to tell yourself, here's why. Here's why I am. Here's why, in the now. There is no tomorrow, it doesn't exist. Nope. There is no later on, that doesn't exist. It's the now, which is why I say I have no career. Because once you make that confinement, you have to look at where you were. Well, everybody else is paying attention to what's down there that you ain't get yet. Where you're going, what are you doing, what's next? See, with that confinement, you are now giving other people permission to go, so what are you working on? 
What are you doing next? Oh, I hate that. What's coming up for you? It's the worst. That's the worst question ever. And the best question, if you turn it into something that works for you to remind yourself and put you back in the mind, remind again and again and again of your wholeness, of your fullness, of your breadth and your depth, of your creativity, of your compassion, of your truth, of your beauty, of your, of your you. That's why you are be you, tiffle. And once you know that, it doesn't matter what everybody else does. Again, because you're not beholden to them. You're beholden to your truth. And when you know that in the now, trust that when people hire you, trust that when people want you, trust that when people love you, it's because of you. Yeah, they're getting the voice. Yeah, they're getting the performance. Yeah, they're getting their storytelling. But it's because of you. Because they trust where you're going to go and how you're going to get there in what you're doing that you were hired for. They love you and they want you. They're gonna remember your personality. You remember the great actors, but everyone will always remember when they've been an asshole. People will always remember when they acted up. Social media will show you. If I bring up Russell Crowe, people are gonna remember that telephone incident. If I bring up Christian Bale, people are gonna always find on YouTube when he was screaming his head off. People love to find that stuff because it exists. And yes, there are passionate artists who kind of went off those kind of fucking rails in the moment. And you'll always remember his work, but that always comes with it. There's an umbilical cord with that. Mm. And so it's really wonderful when people go, what precedes you is your love and your passion and your joy. And we want to bring you in. We want, no, 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 this is an offer. This is an offer. And so when I spoke to my agent, I said, that's kind of stuff is going to happen because it's going to precede me. And I don't care whether they're religious. I don't care what they believe or if they don't believe. I don't care if you're agnostic or atheist or anything else. The bottom line is you're going to know this as I know this. And that is my platform. So my voice is always last. It's never first. And I always tell people, you really want to put your voice first, make it last. Build your platform your self-love, your confidence, your creativity. Do the work that you're meant to do, your forensics with the script. Know more than they think you know. Ask questions that they think you won't. Build that. And as you build that, your voice will come because you're building and crafting from the information that's been given and the information that you're filling in that you've done forensically. Oh, okay, in the script it says, okay, in these specs it says, okay, but what if her background was, yeah, 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 okay. Oh, and the breath, let me pay attention. Hear my breath when I get excited. Okay, nobody breathes like me. Oh, my diaphragm, nobody, nobody has these moments like me in my heart, in my mind. When I laugh, nobody laughs like me. When I'm angry, nobody's angry. Oh, I, 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 I grit. When the, nobody grits their teeth like me. Let me bring all of that as my X factor, because at the end of the day, I don't want you to just hear me, I want you to feel me. And you're gonna do that when you continue to bring the best of who you are as a human being to the table. And then that human being mixes with all the work that you do, all the love that you do, all the storytelling that you do, the storytelling that you do, all that crafting and building that three-dimensional person in your booth and building that three-dimensional world in your booth because all it does is it opens you up to a plethora and a cornucopia of the universe. 
you get a chance to in that booth be and see and feel in your third eye what uh, and it's always always a dialogue and never a monologue unless it specifically is a monologue and therefore what is their reaction what what did i say before this line what did i say before these words what did they just say to me how am i experiencing it why do i feel the way that i do why 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 let me answer that oh let me okay it's not there then let me build that space so that when i'm crafting this i come into the situation full and i come in with intention so when they say this i'm fully aware why they said it and i'm fully aware of why my reaction is I'm having these moment to moment organic things take place with the environment to have a relationship with everything, the air, the moment. As I'm talking to you, am I in a hotel, am I in a restaurant, am I in a bar, am I in a school? What's happening around me? Are there people listening to me? Am I being too loud? Am I not being loud enough? Do I care what's around me that I don't care in that moment because of this emotional space? What is it that I want in my intention? What is my inner intention? The inner dialogue that's going on as we all speak to somebody, but yet there's something else going on in the back of our heads that we want to say and don't. Storytelling is crafted by those complexities uh, and all of it has to come from you having these real moments out in the world. So continue to be these real moments out in the world and bring that into your booth and stop thinking that once you're in a booth that you have to read somebody else's shit and build a character from your voice only. Because if you do that, you're cookie cutter. You're like everybody else. Why should we hire you? Your X factor is you. Why would you be wanting to do this and wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen if not because you are some X factor within you and then you cut it out because you read on the page, she's a witch, and you do your cookie cutter witch voice. And meanwhile, casting and everybody else is hearing the cookie cutter witch voice. Why should I listen to yours when each audition maybe is three minutes? I cut you off at, at, at 30 seconds. Got it, heard that. Even the approach is not the same because you start with the words. You never start with the breath and the space that you're in. Your breath is an integral part of the storytelling how you breathe in, how you breathe out. In your anger, what happens to your body? What happens to the inner dialogue that goes on before you say something? Is there that pause that makes people go, are you breathing? Are we hearing it? It's more interesting that if you're on the phone and you hear somebody breathing and you know it's a friend because it comes up in your, as your friend and you wanna know, oh my God, is something okay? What happened? They're not saying anything all that tension, all that anticipation. Now imagine you put that shit in the booth. Not to gain attention, not as a formulaic thing, but simply because in that moment, you may have something to say that is a difficult thing to say. Or you may be bringing in anger because of that pre-life. It's all of those complexities and all of those things which are the human condition that a lot of voice actors don't bring to them in the booth. Thus, you and your X factor get picked out differently from everybody else's. And there's a difference between a booking and the job. Everything you do in your booth, that's your fucking job. Forensics, that's your job. Pre-life, that's your job. Third eye, that's your job. Building the world, that's your job. Organic relationship, with the dialogue when someone's talking to you and why, and you knowing why you say what you do, that's your job. You know why? Because even if you don't book it, you did your job.
And you don't have to go, what did I not do? What did I leave out? And you have to use that as each brick that you put down that say, see this path I'm building? I know I'm gonna book something because this path leads to a destination. Otherwise it wouldn't be laying these fucking bricks. And you have to know that that's gonna happen. All that work is what precedes you when you walk into a booth. And why people hire you because you are interesting and because you ask questions and because you're willing to stop and go, nope, wait, I have another take. And you're bringing all this legitimacy to it. That's crafting a story, crafting someone else's story and then bringing yourself into it. That's true storytelling. Yeah, it's so true. It's so much of a collaboration. I feel like a lot of artists or actors tend to go in and just need the direction instead of being able to live truthfully under the imaginary circumstances. And like you said, be able to ask the important questions of why their character is even saying these lines on the page. Tell me a little bit about just the time that you spent with the African women's repertory. It was a short period of time. I was working with City of New York Parks and Recreation. My administrator, his sister was a playwright. And he, she had a play called Passing. And she wanted to cast it. And he thought of me. And he said, I want you to introduce you to my sister. I met her. And um, we talked about the role. And she said, it's yours. It's yours. And that's how it started. And there were times when it would be glitchy on stage and somebody wouldn't come out. They forgot their cue or they were still having a wardrobe malfunction back there. And I would come out waiting for them and I would be in my office. There's no audience. I'm in my office working. Let you watch me. I don't care. You don't exist. I'd have an inner monologue outside with my head. I'd fill the space. I was the space. I was in the space and was the safe space at the same time. I'd have a monologue going on that was in my head that was now coming out about how I felt about this work, this job, this my life. The person who was about to come out on stage who was an employee, how I felt about her, what I wanted to say to her, but maybe I should keep it in. And I would have that conversation out loud, stream of consciousness. And then she would come in and then the scene would not begin, it would continue. And it would up my motivation. It would up everything that was going on. That moment, because that was the pre-life that I brought to the stage. I did one play with them and only one. One play with them and only one because I was working for City of New York and Parks and Recreation. And to me, that was fine. When I was in high school, I went to the High School of uh, Performing Arts in Manhattan. And so all of my training came from there. And when I left it, I was like, that's pretend. Let's pretend I'm not going to be a struggling artist. I got bills to pay because I had been working from the age of 14. And so my foundation was work. I loved making money because that made me feel like an adult. And so I started paying bills in the house. I started buying my own stuff. I never asked my parents for money again after that. Other than, again, college. Getting some money and some loans, which I paid back. It was working for me. And it was such a powerful space to be in that I ended up leaving school because I realized I was absorbing information only to forget it because it wasn't applicable to this growth. It wasn't applicable to my life. I was doing everything but school. So I left 
my parents were very disappointed, but I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the space of education. My, my soul is in the space of education. I know, I know they didn't overstand that at the time, but I was in the space of education. I was in the space of education and I was carrying a lot of baggage with me from my childhood. I was dragging it along and then finding a way to make it easier to carry, but never putting it down. And I honestly didn't put it down until 2012 when I was already established out here after Mad TV was even over. I didn't put my baggage down. I didn't really find that ascension space um, where it was a full centered awareness until 2012. What happened in 2012? What was the catalyst? Um, 2012 was, let's see. I was, I wasn't working a lot on camera because all my background is on camera work. Right. Sketch comedy, improv, Mad TV. By the time I came to LA, Mad TV was my third series. I had two series back in New York and a, and a bunch of commercials that I did where I was the spokesperson. So I made good money. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, coming out here, trying to negotiate and navigate my way through being on this show, which found me in New York while I was still working for City of New York Parks and Recreation, was a lot to handle and a reality that I didn't believe I deserved. Um, and still holding on to childhood, emotional and psychological trauma and then navigating how to hold it all, but never navigating how to let it go. I didn't have the tools to let it go, but I had the, I mean, yeah, but I didn't have the tools to let it go. I didn't allow myself the tools to let it go. I had them. I didn't know that I did. I didn't know that they existed for me and within me. So I was negotiating how to handle all my baggage and then present a facade by saying, okay, well, I'll make them all into a backpack. Just put them on my back. I'll do this, but I won't stand up straight. And so negotiating all of that to the point where finally it hit ahead, because again, I had a career and now I was a wife and now I was a homeowner. And so finally I got to the point where all of those things were crumbling. Like now it, was, it wasn't even holding like heavy duty rocks. It was holding sand with no water. Cause you know, when you make it a sand castle with water you got to not going anywhere until you put it down and then you shape it. There's a certain amount of control to that. But I was holding sand from a beach that was dry. And my fingers are never gonna get close enough to hold it all. So I was outrunning my bills, trying to catch up to a career and try to hold on to a failing marriage in a home I couldn't afford. So if I'm not a homeowner, I'm not an actress and my marriage is crumbling and I'm no longer a wife or will no longer be a wife, all of that for me in those limitations that I was holding on to equated to failure. So I hold on to the title of failure, but then I got sick. I stopped eating, I stopped drinking, I stopped going outside. I isolated and insulated. I was physically ill all the time. And then I finally said, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I, 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 this treadmill psychologically, I'm not running it physically, but I might as well be running it physically because everything about me is exhausted. My life is exhausted. It creates disease in, within the body when that stress comes in. It is, a, it, and, and it was a disease. Mm -hmm. And so I had a conversation with God. I said, fix it. 
change it. Tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I mean, literally like point me in a direction, turn my head this way, put my hand there, do it. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And God said, forgiveness. And I went, okay, I'll forgive the industry for not hiring me. I'll forgive my husband for all the stuff. I'll forgive him. I'll forgive him. God said, no. No, yourself, right? Forgive you. Yeah. And I got into a fight. I was like, motherfucker, what did you say? What did I do? And then I took the victim stance. And then God touched me only two times have I felt the presence of God actually physically, physically touch me. I felt a finger on my third eye and then instantaneously I saw my life flash, but the only things I saw were shown were my relationships with men and how I felt about myself. And I didn't realize that that was a key for everything. That that thing, that those experiences, not with my parents, my brothers and sisters, not with my bedwetting as a child, but the trauma was my relationship with men and how I felt about myself. Because that was the foundation for the bedwetting. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. It's not stopping. Why am I the different one? Why am I, I'm laughed at. I'm unworthy. Yeah, I'm going to join the drama class. Oh, wow, I got a part in the show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna decline it. I'm unworthy of it. No, you're still a baby in your body. So you can't grow breasts. You can't because that means you're becoming a woman, but you're wetting the bed. You're unworthy. You're unworthy. You're unworthy. And I tag that along with everything else. So Mad TV was something I had to navigate through because I'm still, again, not allowing myself the tools to put the baggage down. So I'm holding on to it trying to find a way to make it comfortable under my arms and on my back, put it on my head, everything of unworthiness. So being somebody else, I found my worthiness because it wasn't Deborah being unworthy. It was these people in me that were worthy. And I wanted to do things that were so different from myself so that I didn't have to have a reflection of me. So the characters and the people that were around me, Hitty and Biller, psychologically, they were white, older, and Jewish. How different dynamically is that from me? And that's because I could jump into that experience and they would have pity. They would have mercy because they were so different from me. So they wouldn't judge me. When I started watching character actors and becoming obsessed with television, it was all character actors who were villains murderers, serial killers. Why? Because there was something psychologically and emotionally wrong with them like me. So I related to them. And then I had compassion for them when I couldn't have compassion for myself because they were a mirror image of me, but at the same time different from me. And so I became psychologically involved in these characters. I had to be the only 14 year old at the time. And I was now not no longer bedwetting, but not far from that at the time who had a subscription to psychology today. I became fascinated with the human drama, fascinated with the brain, the mind, 
fascinated with the pain and the sorrow and the sadness and the suffering that made people like John Wayne Gacy and Ed Gein. And so Richard Ramirez, where they were cold and calculating and dead on the inside, that was beaten out of them and taken from them and then reinforced by their isolation. And so I became fascinated with that. And as I continued to move through the experience and let everything go, and God said, let it all go, let it all go. All these things that you're holding on to now, I have to release the burden. Because that moment was the defining moment in releasing it all. So which meant the collateral stuff had to be released as well. And once that was released, I said, I get it. I know the truth of me. Now I just have to go live the truth of me. And that's where I collaborated with God and God collaborated with me and said, okay, now we're magnetized. Follow to me, follow, with, follow me, listen to me, grow your spiritual philosophy and yourself, your individual journey of me, your individual journey with Yehoshua, the rabbi. And as you do this, you'll get to know the make and measure of who you are. And as I see you, you will see others as I see you. And you will see others as you see yourself. You'll know that reflection, your third eye will be open to it. And you will know the true meaning and the true activation of namaste. And as you do that, you don't have to hold on to that other stuff. The material world will come and go because that's the stuff you don't have to, you don't have to negotiate anymore. Because what you have, that's where the wealth comes into play. And with that wellspring, it's gonna keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And I'm going to support the three-dimensional world that you're in because you're already thrown it away. Let me bring it back. So I divorced, I let go of the condo, three bedroom, three bathroom, three floor, 2,138 square feet. And I opened the doors and gave everything away. Take that, that flat screen on the wall, take it. Okay, I'll have Best Buy come over and I'll have these, take it. Wait, there are all your pictures. I left a three bedroom, three bathroom, three floor condo with 28 boxes and moved into this amazing and beautiful little one bedroom apartment here in Sherman Oaks. And I watched God manifest the most amazing things. I said, I love this neighborhood and I wanna hang on one second this back up here we go I said I didn't ask I just said I love this neighborhood I want to stay in it because I'd been in that condo from 2000 to 2012 I said love this neighborhood and I have friends and I've developed friends and, and a relationship with this neighborhood I'd love to stay on the street bam I live less than half a block on the same street condo here my apartment here. When I walked in, I was given that same feeling like I'm meant to be here. That's you, that's this, that's that magnetizing without having to ask why and needing to know, I don't need to know anymore. And so I was meant to be here. I was meant to be here. On my 50th birthday in 2012, I shaved my head. I said, all my dreadlocks were known in New York all my career presence was dreadlocked. 
And so when I shaved my head, it was in symbolism of leaving my crown chakra open. I was going to ask you that. That was on my, it's on my list, girl. <laughs> like, because your crown chakra is so wide open. Like you just, I'm everything you say. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been crying. I've been trying not to cry, but it's tears, not of sadness. It's tears of resign, like resignation for my own, like knowing my own self better and just, and you're showing it to me even today. It's like affirmation bumps everywhere. This is my true purpose. This moment. Yeah. With you, goddess, this is my true purpose. People get a chance to see that, but this is my true purpose. So again, we're now always saying that if something is collateral, you calling me here to do this was the collateral. You and I, you're my true purpose. God always reveals, always. Never time when that doesn't happen. I feel the same This way. moment with you <laughs> is my true purpose. So voiceover was the stepping stone to get to this moment with you. You're the true purpose. People get a chance to witness the true purpose. That is us. That is you. So you may be interviewing me, but let everyone who is going to see this and experience this know that this is the true purpose and each and every one of us will have it from someone or something so that you can reinforce and reinvigorate and remember. And I don't mean remember as in the opposite of forget. I mean, remember as in reattach. Yeah. Because when you dismember, you take a piece of you from the whole. If you dismember your head, your head is off your body. But to remember is to reattach yourself to the whole over and over again. So thank you for remembering and attaching yourself to the whole. So those tears, like when a baby is born, signifies life. You're experiencing it all and it's overwhelming to know the possibility, the potential, the truth, the passion, everything that is you in your heart and your mind and your soul. You get a chance to know that someone validates you and you get a chance to know that someone loves you. And every space that I own in this world is a reflection of you. Every feeling, every thought, everything that I ever went through, all of it, I get a chance to be the minerals to turn it into fertilizer and put it on a platform and celebrate it so that everyone else knows that they're not alone. And this just happens to be the platform, the voiceover stuff, which I said, I can toss away. Right. But the only reason God keeps bringing it to me is get to moments like this. That's why all that stuff doesn't matter. None of it matters. Like, just no, it's just the joy in the moment of the celebration because the residual effect is the joy, the passion, the thing. That's the fuel that takes you to the next space. That's the passion that takes you to the next space. Those games that I did are gone and over with. But the next space, the energy and the fuel of that is in this moment where oh, I'm out of that fuel, but I'm in this space and you refuel me, you refuel me, you. The interview is a circumstance of you refueling me to get me to get to this place so that I can move into the next space. And that's what we do with each other, for each other, because we fucking are each other.
Yes, all is love and love is one. I feel like every one of us are so interconnected and I feel like we are getting to that now, especially with the pandemic. I feel like the pandemic was a reason for uniting so many different people together in such an, an interesting way that we would have never had the journey to do before. Like I, I um, would have never had on my journey to have the um, feeling in my mind that I needed to do a podcast. Um, it just wasn't something, I'm a storyteller, I do a lot of different forms of storytelling, but I never thought that my voice was worthy enough to be heard in this type of platform. And um, I feel like the pandemic kind of recalibrated where we are as a human race, like that we have to connect like this more often. We have to take moments like this to realize that it's not about the work. It's not about this movie that you did or this voiceover or this, you know, show that you're doing, but it's about sharing our experience and how to lift each other up because that's what God put us on this earth for is to lift one another up and to let people not feel alone in this world. And then that's why I feel like we have one of the most noble professions on earth because we can be on screen or we could be in a, a game or, and, or we can lend our voice to something and people won't feel alone. If they're going through something, they're gonna see that mirrored back. To but them. every profession can be that. It's only a mindset. Whatever you focus on increases. There is no subset. It's not one of the most noble professions. It could be also one of the most tragic professions to someone who was abused in it. You feel me? True. And so it's not about the profession. It's about you. It's a circumstance that's throwawayable. In other words, because it's not really a profession. It isn't. We label things, but those labelings now, we are beholden to the limitation of those labelings. As opposed to the you that came to this planet, because God says you are worthy. God says you are beautiful. What are you going to be? Because when God created plants and lives and everything else like this, it was, look how they flourish. They don't even have to ask why they are. They just flourish. And so as we come to just continue to flourish, it is great joy to God's eye. To simply flourish. To have a relationship and a relationship to something greater than ourselves. Because everything that is limited by those things doesn't allow a greater relationship with ourselves because it has a limited relationship with ourselves based on a circumstance of something else in the world. Yeah, condition. That go, it's conditional. Yeah, it's so conditional. It's so conditional because you're never gonna get to that feeling. It's always gonna be something more like, oh, now that I have this, now I want something more. And you're never gonna get to- If you choose to be beholden to it. Yes. Right, if you're beholden to it, that's right, that's right. And do you do you take time to, to meditate? Do you meditate at all? I'm always in meditation mode. Let me tell you something, everyone is always in meditation mode. Is again, we have, a limit, we have a limited idea of what meditation is. We think you have to be alone and you have to be quiet but I'm meditating all the time because it's my thought, it's my intention, my thought and my intention and, and my observation. My observation is my meditation. If I'm walking down the street and I hear birds and I just quiet myself for a minute just to listen, that's my meditation. If I hear children laughter, that's my meditation right there because I'm like, 
how amazing that they that they don't feel the pandemic, that they're just enjoying life, that they're being loved and surrounded and that they're in a safe space and a safe haven to feel their most reckless abandoned, regardless of a fucking pandemic. See, just that thought alone is that meditation. Being able to help somebody, support somebody and make people feel less invisible. That's a meditation. Just the feeling, idea of want, the desire, the intention. That's meditation. Just breathing, getting in my little car, getting on my motorcycle going and hearing that road and hearing that moment and slipping between traffic, there's my meditation. If I nearly get in a collision while I'm on my motorcycle and I haven't and I'm getting angry and upset, I have to go, wait a minute, I'm taking my eyes off of God, which is if I'm thankful, watch how that changes everything. Watch how that changes my body, my gratitude. Thank you, the thank you instead of the fuck you. All of that is meditation and you're keeping it with you. The same way we have an inner dialogue or an inner monologue, that's meditation. It's just that, what are you saying in your meditation? Because whatever you focus on increases. That's meditation. So I don't have a limited idea of meditation. I'm always in meditation. I'm always in gratitude mode, which is why these digital and these, uh, not digital, but these divine downloads come so easy for me. They're effortless. I'm an open vessel, I'm vulnerable. And I let God have its way by intimate means of me and move me and to do things that most people would have to stop and think about. I've hugged people in the street simply because they've asked for it at the height of the pandemic. I don't give a fuck what everybody else thinks. Someone is saying, you didn't see me as invisible and I haven't been touched. I know I'm dirty, but I just wanna be touched by another human being. Yeah. To have somebody want just to be acknowledged. Yeah and be validated by another human being, that someone's gonna stop in their lives and say, you're worthy and I see you and you're not invisible. What can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And that person just say, I just, I just wanna be touched. I just wanna be hugged. I will not deny you. I don't know how and I, 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 didn't, I wouldn't know how. If I wanna, I'm gonna wrap my hands around you and I'm not gonna let go. You can't pay me to be in a session and equate that with that moment. And so those are the experiences we meant to have because we can bring that humility and that humanity back into those other experiences. Absolutely. That's what makes the X factor the X factor. And when you have those experiences and many other experiences that you are choosing and many other experiences that you don't even fucking choose, when you bring that with you in the booth, along with your relationship and your third eye and your asking your questions and your forensics of the script, that's what separates you from everybody else. And that's why this bitch works all the time because people want me, because I now realize I am worthy. And they don't see just, or hear just my voice. They, they feel my worthiness of it. They know that I'm worthy of this and they know the work that I put into it because I know I'm worthy of it. It's your whole essence. That's what makes the voice. I always tell people, you wanna go, you wanna put your voice over first? You wanna put your voice first? Make your voice last. It's, it's something in the Bible and I don't read the Bible. I'm not a Christian. You, you know, he who puts his, I, I don't know, but it has to do with being the last, the last shall be first. And I know what that means now, but I don't know what it means because I read the Bible and I study the Bible. I don't, I'm not a Christian. But what, what it actually means in activation is that he, we, he who is the last of us shall be first or something like that, which is those moments that are so real will grow us and when we're humble enough to be on our knees in that space, it only allows us a greater 
space and a greater uh, 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 energy to be prayerful and mindful of others. And so when we put them first, we've only grown our essence and our truth, our compassion, and that's what we will then put into the work that we do. So our voice is fed to tell stories based on our energy and our love and our passion and our compassion and everything that we've ever experienced. And then when we're not storytelling about somebody else's intellectual property, we're storytelling about our own lives. And someone says, I'm gonna put that energy, which is a reflection of me into my work and my ethics and my humility and my gratitude so that when I come into the booth, I'm also bringing my X factor, which is me, an emotional and spiritual space that is me, my loving space, which is me, my joyous space, which is me. And that's what separates why some people get hired in this business and why others don't. Because we hear it in your voice, because we hear it in your voice, not because you're in a booth, but because we hear your truth when you're just talking to someone on the street. And we feel you because undoubtedly when I'm coaching, I don't want to just hear you. I want to feel you. I want to feel you. And the amazing choices that you make based on you. Because when you're not making choices and you're on the nose based on a character spec that you were too lazy to do any grounded, dimensional, layered complexity work to, I turn it off because I don't hear you. Yeah, I don't hear you. And I'll tell you, I don't I don't hear you every time you create something. And then when I go back into it to hear your storytelling, your voice is always like this. It's always like this. It doesn't do anything different. The scene changed, but it's always like this. And I say and I'll tell you and I'll say, listen to it. There's no there's no musicality because you didn't you didn't. I don't know who you are. I know what you read and what you you did, but I don't know who you are because you are so not aware how amazing and magnificent you are in your own life and you didn't bring your storytelling with you. You thought, no, professionally, my personal life is my personal life. And it's different from what I do in the booth. I said, that's why you don't have an X factor. That's why you, why, why you didn't bring it with you. People say, it's, a, it's not personal, it's business. No, it is, it's a personal business because I choose to be here. I'm not compelled, I don't have to do this. I choose to be here. So every time you get that feeling like, I need to do that. No, you don't need to do that. You really want to do that. But you have to know why you want to do that. You have to know why you really want to do that. And you have to know what you want to bring to the table. Because if it is just about the money and the fame, then basically you're saying this insecurity that I had, I'm trying to compensate for this. The desire that I saw on YouTube that someone else had, I want to compensate for that how these people got rich and famous from being nobodies, I wanna compensate from that. Because see, you keep looking at those reflections of what you weren't. And you're using that as your platform to what you wanna be without knowing that what you be is what you are. And it's already amazing. And until you know that, you'll always be a hamster wheel in your own head. Wondering why I don't have that. No, 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 I, I got money, I, I'm making money and I have that job, but I want that type of a job. No, I'm a recurring character. I'm on a series, I have a recurring character, but I'm not a lead. Yeah, I'm a lead, but 
look at the money they're making. It's it's HBO. Do you know how much money they got? A, they got a movie out of that. I see. I I know I'm a lead, but I want a lead that makes movies. It'll never end because all of those things at the heart of it is the child says I'm unworthy. And I want more to compensate for that unworthiness. But it'll never compensate for it, even if it's a billion dollars. Because then you have the sycophants around you and then you have to protect those billions of dollars. So now you need people to come in. And so you're always, again, beholden, 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 beholden. And the hamster wheel will go, who loves me for me and who loves me for my money? Who really knows me when I'm down and I'm off and I'm sick and I'm tired? And who comes to my aid just to be there with me, like that hug in the street? Or who comes to me because they know that I'm going to love them enough, to trust them enough, and they can stay in that, that cyclical group that gets something off me? George Clooney, in his career, in his business, he hires friends. And he doesn't care whether you're in the entertainment industry or not. He brings you in because he likes to keep his friends close. Not because they're the yes mans, but because he knows them and they know him. And so he can truly be himself with them. I heard this story almost eight years before it came out in the news from his best friend. He said one year he gathered his friends for a holiday party. And there were all these suitcases as gifts. And people thought, his guy friends thought, oh wow, beautiful suitcase. These beautiful to me bags or whatever the bags were at the time. But the bags had stuff in them. They opened it up and I, I don't know how many guys there were, but in each of them, $1 million in cash, cash. He gave his friends $1 million in cash each. No tax, no reporting it. That's how much he does for his friends. One of his friends told me that, and then the story ended up coming out years later that that happened. And his best friend said, I don't work in the entertainment industry. I don't know anything about this business. I just know that he's my friend. I've known him before and I love him. And whenever he can find something for me to do, he always brings me in, no matter what it is. Always takes care of us, always loves us. Keeps his friends close, never lets them go. Because that's a part of his experience as a human being that he brings into that. So when you say it's business, it's not personal, it's personal business. And so when you go into your booth relating back to this, when you go into your booth, you're bringing all of your joy, you're bringing everything that is you, your heartache and your pain and, and everything else, your sorrow and your sadness into your celebration and everything else. Why? Because undoubtedly as a storyteller, you're telling the story of the human condition, even if it's another world and even if you're another creature. Because as we hear it, we're still hearing a human voice and we're still relating, which is why people love characters like SpongeBob and the Simpsons who aren't skin colored and have blue hair. We relate to them in, 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 in terms of humanity and all the characters that have ever been created by Disney that weren't human, Mickey Mouse, 
Donald Duck, Goofy. We relate to them because when we hear that voice, we're still hearing the journey of this being. And as storytellers, that's what we want to do. We want things that are relatable and you can't relate until you live. And when you do, and you bring all of that to the table, when you do get to a video game in a heartbreaking experience, you feel it, you feel it. And that's what makes certain games so prolific. The pain to them, the, the loss, the sorrow, the sadness, the suffering, and then into that power and that action. I got to work on one video game, uh, very honored to have worked on Red Dead Redemption 2. And of course you don't get the script beforehand, you know, you get it the day of, and um, Mr. Jones was a fantastic director, Laszlo Jones. And one of the things that stood out to me was being able to be there, and I'm dyslexic a little bit, so it's hard for me. I, I do need to usually read things beforehand, but because I was so in gratitude and so in joy, things flowed for me like they never had flowed before. I had no flubs and I was able to emote and fully live within the imaginary circumstances around me because I saw them. I knew I was at a campfire. I knew, you know, that I had to find my dad. Now I can't find myself in the game at all. I don't know where I am in it, but I felt so good. It was such a beautiful feeling to come out of that booth and just live fully, just be there and live fully in that moment. It's just having another experience. And if you don't equate that to imaginary world, but to another reality, you're having an experience from dimension to dimension. How magical. Yeah, I was crying afterwards. I mean, I, I held it in until after I left because I didn't want Laszlo Jones to think I was crazy. But I no was like, one will think you were crazy. <laughs> But, yeah, because it was just so beautiful. Like, I mean, and it was sad and heart wrenching. I mean, I definitely had to do the efforts of, you know, being killed and, you know, all the things that go along with that, as you know, are pretty um, taxing on the body, mind and soul, you know, and just releasing that. So I sat in my car afterwards and I was like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this experience. Please, God, let me have this experience again to be, you know, in this full emotion. It was so beautiful. I, I Mama, I am so with you. Not too long ago, I was doing ADR for an, an actual feature film, live action. It's a film that has not come out yet. And it's called Lakewood. And it stars Naomi Watts. And I have a character in this, which is over the phone. And it's pretty intense. And so the director hired people, fired people, hired people, fired people, hired looping groups, let's record again, let's record again. And it had been a challenge. And so this, he was so micromanaging, meticulous with what he wanted. And so I auditioned, I booked it. And he wasn't in the studio, but he was on Zoom. And there were, you know, it was a dance of telling the story and telling the story the way he wanted it. It's like, would you like fries with that? Would you like me to supersize? Do you need extra napkins? And so that is my relationship with him. As I build this person 
and have a pre-life because it's not a voiceover for me. So I'm watching Naomi Watts on, on screen and I'm having this relationship. And as I do, I'm building that intensity and I'm building the relationship with her and the relationship with my son and the relationship on those levels. And I'm holding them in my, my gut. I'm holding them in my diaphragm. And at one point he goes, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, come on, because let's do this. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine. And I need to hold them, I need to hold them. And at the end of the session, I just released it all and I burst down crying. And he overstood. Because he, he overstood my, my overwhelming desire to tell this story and the things that I wanted to bring to the table and doing that dance with the director. I was told before I went in, he's hard to work with, he's overwhelming, he knows what he wants, he micromanages these experiences. I found him to be delightful and meticulous and thoughtful and incisive. So all those things that people said that he might be, I don't know if my experience and their experiences were equal, but I know the experience I chose to have and the experience I was having equated differently. So he may have said the same thing, the same way to somebody else. And in their vision, it was, he is this thing. But if I had the exact same experience, I'm choosing my awareness so that when I see a reflection of somebody else, it's in a different light than what somebody else's separation is that he is this thing. Well, and it goes back to what you said before. You're fully in yourself now more than you ever have been, you know, and I don't think that everyone's truly there yet, right? Not as truly evolved as you are. And maybe they're just seeing that as a reflection of, oh, I'm not enough or I'm a failure or I'm not doing something right because I'm not giving them what they need. And then they're kind of grasping for things and it's just not clicking. Whereas I think that, I think that experience was more, more than anything else was a matter of, I'm choosing not to be a reflection of energy. So it's easier to go, this person is this, this person is this. So I don't think it was them not feeling like they were unworthy. I think more than anything else in this situation, it was, he is this. I hear this, this is how I equate it. I hear this is how I equate it. So when we separate ourselves, we can't equate anything else. It's almost like if I gave you, if you live a certain way and uh, I ask what you want, what's one plus one, you might say three. And you might validate that and recognize that. And so if it's, if it's incorrect, that's not on you. That's on that other person, the person who asked. And so you use that as your awareness, your self-awareness to say that person is incorrect. They asked me, I gave them the answer and they said, I was wrong. No, they're wrong. So they need to go back and do their math because in your world, one and one equals three. Who am I to tell you that you're wrong? That's your world. I didn't step into your world. You feel me? But at the same time, they didn't step into my world either. You feel me? No, yeah, I totally do. Everyone's perceptions of reality are completely different. Absolutely. So he may have said the same thing to someone else, but how I'm perceiving him is based on my foundation. So my foundation is he's seeking to be the, the, the 
storyteller because he is the director and he knows what he wants because the story is important and it's powerful and it's palpable and it's real. That's my equation. So I'm now doing all the work while I'm watching Naomi Watts on the phone and I'm having a conversation with her and the mic just happens to be there. But I'm feeling what she really wants. And so I'm going deeper than what the words are in order to go beep, beep, beep and record it. So I'm building that. So each take, I'm building that. And I'm holding on to it because remember, I was used to holding on to the baggage, right? So now I'm using it as a method. Nothing is ever wasted. Yeah, it's brilliant. And the minerals that turn this shit into fertilizer. I'm growing this experience in this booth and using that to grow the authenticity, the truth, and the emotion. So he and I, this director, is having this dance. At the end of the session, I break down and cry because now I can release it. And he overstood that. And he said, thank you for completely investing in my project. Not in our project, his project. And that's what I did. I came in, I did more because they changed the dialogue. They gave me more. And at times we bumped heads, but that's okay. Because I am invested in, in what you're doing. And if that doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I go back to, tell me, you tell me. And at one point he made a comment and I know a lot of people might've gone like, he was like, no, I can feel you acting. You're acting that, that's not true. He didn't know what I was feeling and what I was going through because it was no different from the first time. But I was like, that's just him. I'm not gonna be a victim. I'm not gonna take it and oh, this major director said this. Oh my God, I must not be good. Cause all that unworthy shit went out the door, 2012. So I'm like, okay, he's entitled to his opinion. But don't you think, I was like, no, that's not correct. I know you may feel that way and that's fine, but you don't know what I'm feeling right now. So I'm not, I'm not faking it. Cause he said, you're faking it. No, I'm not. But I wouldn't go like, yes, sir. Okay. I don't give a fuck who you are. Feel me? I'm not going to back down when I hold this creative space and this loving space for myself. I don't care if I'm in a booth or I'm standing on the street and it has nothing to do with the entertainment industry. I'm not backing the fuck down. And I'm not here to put you in your place either. But the moment you say I'm faking it is the moment I have to say something. And I did. If you're enjoying this conversation as much as I have, there's plenty more to listen to. Hop on over to our Patreon page. You can find the link below.